first of all, it's about people, not about yourself. And then the second thing that I really try to focus on is like, what do they remember? Like, not what do they see? Like, not what the data is that they need to explore, but what do they actually think when they put it down? Hi everyone, thanks for tuning into Nodes of Design. To help support our mission spread knowledge, we have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Jason Forrest, who is a data visualization specialist, writer, designer, living in New York City. He's a director of interactive data visualization for McKinsey & Company, COVID Response Center. In addition to being on board of directors of Data Visualization Society, he is also the editor-of-chief at Nightingale, which is a journal of Data Visualization Society. He writes about intersection of culture and information design and is currently working on a book about pictorial statistics. In this episode, Jason had shared wonderful insights on information design. We had discussed on what exactly is information design and its importance. We also spoke on how information design is different from data visualization and what is the process of information design. Later that, Jason has explained us how does he and his team has built COVID-19 response center at McKinsey, which has a beautiful blend of data and UX. We then spoke about how can we design information for usability and accessibility. We then concluded this show by Jason recommending us few tips on storytelling via data. Hope you guys enjoy this episode and on every Friday we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design. So don't forget to tune in into Notes of Design every Friday. With that being said, happy designing everyone. Hi, Jason. Welcome to Nodes of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show. Uh, thank you so much to, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Jason, how's your day going? Uh, it's great. It's uh, the last day before Thanksgiving. So everybody in the U.S. is, uh, is uh, looking forward to having a safe and very family-focused Thanksgiving. Uh, hopefully not too many people are traveling too much, but my family is just going to make a meal here. Spend a lot of time watching TV and hanging out. That's wonderful, Jason. So if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there. So I'm Jason Forrest. I am a data visualization designer uh, in New York City. I have a kind of a crazy backstory in that I was a photographer and then became an electronic musician and traveled the world doing that for a long time. And then uh, then decided to go into technology in the startup world. After that, I uh, ended up getting a job. Uh, uh, well, my startup didn't exactly pan out as it happens in the startup world. And after that, went into uh, work pretty pretty much on enterprise scale web application design. Eventually joined McKinsey about six years ago. And now I'm in the director of the COVID Response Center uh, interactive team. So we are a team, cross-functional team of designers and, uh, and developers that build data visualizations about uh, really the health and economic implications of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you so much, Jason. So what was your journey into design and how did you start? What are your tips to the beginners who are starting now? Well, I kind of I kind of uh, gave you some of my uh, my story there, which was that, um, you know, I went to school for t photography. So I my degrees and I have a bachelor's of fine arts. Uh, I was obsessed with contemporary art. And when I first started my generation and age, uh, but but I took one of the very first like computer design classes. And they had this brand new software that had just gotten on the market literally like that week. 
called Photoshop. So like I actually started on Photoshop Zero. It wasn't even a number because it was just new software. But what was interesting is like I could really, and you got to keep in mind before then we were using typewriters or we were using word processors and things like this. So I used Photoshop really as a way to cheat my, a lot of my like English assignments and stuff, because I would go through and I would like, just instead of writing like a, a, a 2000 word essay, I'd write like a 500 word essay and like put all this really needless and elaborate design all over it and change the font and then make it, I, it looked like a published book, but instead it was actually just a really mediocre English assignment. Anyways. Um, but What's important is to kind of show that like, I really learned to be a designer by doing design, right? Like I did some education. I certainly had many, many mentors, but you know, starting to basically just kind of mess around with design software at the beginning and my whole kind of design career helped me to kind of continue to build on a continuous education and not only the tools, but also in the design concepts. When I uh, uh, co-founded my startup, it was called Network Awesome. It was a, like an online video channel. I had to become a lot more serious about UX design as my methodology. The whole concept of like user-centered design kind of coming in as a result of these kind of sweeping changes in Silicon Valley startups. I had to learn all of it. And I also had to also learn the aspects of like, pitching angel investors and like coming up with a pitch deck. So my, my knowledge of design in the startup world was not only about building a product, it was also about selling a product. And then the last thing is that, you know, I had uh, some really amazing uh, mentors uh, when I kind of joined the workforce officially um, with a development team. And they really forced me to uh, understand how you apply a UX methodology to these kind of like enterprise scale web applications, these big complex problems that need a long and very robust uh, process to explore what the idea is and prototype it and test it with users and that whole thing. So, um, so my journey has been really very long. And the last part is that, you know, I really fell in love with data visualization about four years ago. Um, and so I'd had a, a long history of design but it was really about learning about the um, about the data viz part, which was like really important. And that I was able to apply a lot of design concepts towards a new methodology in data visualization design. And so the last part on this monologue is <laughs> by doing that, it gave me different ways to learn and apply design throughout my whole life. That's wonderful, Jason. So what are the tips that you want to suggest to the beginners out there? I mean, I am such a huge fan of learning by doing, as I've said already. And the thing that you get is that when you're just making a poster for a concert or helping a friend mock up or family member mock up a website, you start, you go away from the kind of like easy design exercises that they give you in school and to start applying things in the real world, right? And, and what it does is it helps you to pivot away from design that's like really focused on your own kind of aesthetics and onto like communicating to somebody else or meeting the needs of a client. And it's really, the thing that's fascinating about design is it's really about the constraints that you're given with that you have to kind of create a solution to try to resolve. Thank you so much, Jason. So let's begin our episode today with information design. So what is information design and why is it important? So I would say that 
information design is a systemic approach towards kind of systems thinking. And that applies towards understanding like a holistic approach to what what the information is that you're trying to assemble. You know, that could be a data visualization. That could be the combination of photographs and editorial text. That could also be like signs in a museum, like wayfinding. How do you how do you understand where the subway is? <laughs> you know, how do you understand how to teach people how to read a textbook. Information design is, I, I, I'm like become so obsessed with it because it's about understanding this larger ob- uh, uh, objective, like a, a communications objective, and then figuring out how do you gonna arrange all these puzzle pieces to make that happen. I think the other thing that's interesting is that I very much think of information design as something that can be a part of data visualization, but not necessarily, right? In a way, like information design, I think is like the meta, version of it. And then data visualization is something that's a bit more specific. What's interesting is that I think I kind of evolved to my like preoccupation with information design by kind of working my way up through different aspects of design. Because when you get to information design, it becomes so much more about the process and the people and very little about you as a practitioner, right? It's really about coming up with a communications or learning objective uh, that you're trying to impart to somebody else. So how different is information design compared to data vision? What's the information design process? Well, I, again, I would say that um, what's interesting is I think both of them really take a lot of collaboration. You really need to understand exactly who are the experts on the different aspects of what you're trying to design. So for example, you know, you could have an information designer that's helping to, you know, work with architects uh, in a museum, you know, and trying to figure out, well, here's where we lay out certain aspects of the collection, or here's how you make sure that certain restrooms are in the proximity of where certain traffic flows are. Um, At the same time, I would say that data visualization is a specialization inside of that where you are leveraging the data to help you actually give shape to some kind of information. A lot of information design does employ data visualization because it leans on the data but they're not necessarily overlapping. So on the flip side, you could have someone that completely focuses on data visualization and never touches information design just because it's kind of outside of the process that they own. The other thing that I would say is that with data visualization, it really becomes even more focused on anybody that works with data will tell you that it's actually very abstract, right? And data is pretty messy. And it's very easy to miscommunicate data. Data visualization really helps to... I really think of that also very process-oriented, but maybe others don't. But regardless, I think data visualization is really about understanding the data, understanding what it represents, and then giving it a form which makes it easier to translate for people. I have one last example on this, which is if you think of the concept of flatten the curve, it's the description of a data visualization, right? And think about how abstract that is. If you don't slow the spread of the virus, then your hospital capacity will be, will be overcome, right? 
And like, that is a very abstract idea to tell people that if you slow down, then your hospitals will be able to take care of everybody. Well, like that takes like a while to write out. But when you see a line that goes up and versus a line that goes that goes longer, it's actually very easy to understand. So that's just a that's an example of like the abstraction of data viz and how uh, a good design solution can be like incredibly powerful. Thank you, Jason. So the COVID response center that you built at McKinsey, there's a beautiful blend of data and UX are there. So could you please share some tips in bringing that beautiful blend of data with great user experience? Well, thank you very much. And that's very kind of you to say, first of all, my uh, most of my practice as a designer has been in UX design. So it's very important to me to make sure that there is a solid information architecture. That information architecture means that things are kind of laid out in a way where you would expect to find them. That also means that there's a, you know, to try to make an intuitive design, you need to work at the language, getting to the right message and story, and that you really have to edit it down and really scrub at to make sure like, is this really the right chart? Is this really the right categories? You know, um, I think it's a really interesting blend of language as well. Like, I think we start to think about UX design as being like, it's all about these kind of page patterns and, uh, and interactions, but it's not. It's, it's, that's where the information comes in. So as, a, as an example, we had some titles on some of our interactives at the beginning that weren't as meaningful, but we went back with our editors and kind of helped shape our language so people could kind of get to the kind of so what of it all. The other thing is that because of my background in UX design, um, I was kind of brought in as like, well, here's a data viz expert. But what was interesting is what I really did is I applied UX design patterns to data visualization. And I think the people that were doing it when we first started, it wasn't seen that way. It was seen as like software, you know, and like when I kind of brought in like, OK, well, here's a communications need and here's our audience. And we're trying to kind of test and prototype towards that audience. That's when everything kind of got a lot more structured. And that structure um, has actually been really fascinating because in establishing that structure, I also helped to establish a system for how people could expand what we do on the COVID Response Center. And that's also really important in that I have an incredible luxury of massive, massive organizational support. So it's one of those situations which is really fascinating that like once you do something and it's pretty good, then they want you to do more of it and they give you more resources. And, 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 and honestly, it was only really from that support that were we able to kind of get to the level of that we are today. And so I think you asked for like, you know, tips. When it comes to the tips and like, how do you, how do you get to this kind of blend? I think it really has to start with humanizing the data, right? Because like, that's what makes it meaningful. Like if you could, everyone has a, a, an idea in the back of their mind of a dashboard that just has like a million numbers on them or like 25 different charts. And they're all just like really small and they have a million hoverovers and you can see all the data. It's not really that important to see all the data. It might be important to see the data in context, but you really have to find the story in order to humanize it so that like both an expert and a regular person can kind of get meaning from. Thank you, Jason. So how can one design the information for usability and accessibility? That's a great question. Um, so I think I always have felt like usability and accessibility really overlap, right? Like you want people to have an intuitive grasp of the information 
So therefore, you would want as many people to understand that information. And I think that, um, you know, it's one of those things where you almost have to be greedy as a designer and say like, well, I want everybody to see this cool thing that I've made, you know? And so you do need to take the time to make sure that people understand it. And so there are kind of basic accessibility standards that already exist in like understanding a minimum size for text, um, certainly color is a, a very challenging subject, especially in data visualization. I can talk about that more in a second. But again, like these basic page patterns, like um, it, this is a funny one. And I'll, I, it's, uh, I hopefully I, I'm not, people don't feel like I'm picking on them. But I think a lot of UX designers would make a dashboard and immediately put the filters on the right side, right? You have a, a database with like a filter over here on the right. But the problem is we don't read that way. We read left to right and top to bottom in, in, in the West countries predominantly. And so if you put the filter on the left side, then people can see it better. And that's one of those examples of how, you know, accessibility, intuitiveness are kind of connected to this kind of core um, foundation and information architecture. So the last thing about color is that color is really hard to get really good at. I do feel like it's something that serious designers should really invest time in trying to learn. There are tools and tricks to kind of make it better and more accessible. But with data visualization, because there is a lot of color, one has to be actually extra mindful of accessibility needs. So some of our tools have a lot of colors on them. They're basically rainbows. And what I try to do is really blend hue, saturation, and kind of lightness, darkness values. Instead of just having something that goes from light blue to dark blue, I'll actually have it go from like a saturated light blue to a desaturated dark blue. And what that does is when you're basically able to tweak each aspect of the color, that puts a little tiny bit more contrast between each step in the process. And that contrast helps you know, people with um, color blindness and other ways of kind of seeing the differences in color. It makes it more pronounced to them. And then the last thing is, I love icons, but I always put labels on icons. You know, icons mean different things to different people. And that's one of the things that makes them kind of cool. So like being explicit is a part of increasing the accessibility of your work. Thank you so much, Jason. So could you help us share a few techniques on storytelling and how to convey a message to a larger audience as a designer? Sure. So first and foremost, I think it just starts with tr under trying to understand the story that you want people to remember. So the interesting thing there, there's two interesting things maybe, is that, you know, first of all, it's about people, not about yourself. And then the second thing that I really try to focus on is like, what do they remember? Like not what do they see, like not what the data is that they need to explore, but what do they actually think when they put it down? And, you know, that's something that I really took out of, uh, out of learning about like design history that like, it's like really like your work lives in the imagination of your audience, not necessarily as it exists on the page, for example. But um, so first we kind of work on the story. We write it all down. We ask questions. We have a whole process, a whole methodology of kind of, collaborating with, with the subject matter experts and ideating and sketching and prototyping and valuing that prototype. So it's a whole kind of traditional UX process, but it's really in the defining of the story and, the, and trying to come up with a sequence for like, here's a beginning, here's a middle, here's an end, or here's an idea, here's how you expand on it and 
or or here's how you then dig into a certain section, right? So it's really about like how you structure your information on the page. Um, and again, like there is a lot of ways that you can draw linkages between like a basic bar chart and like another basic chart below by adding a title that's interesting or adding a small illustration or even changing the color or even linking the color from one to the next. Like there's lots of different ways to create visual connections that as you navigate a page in your consumption of that information, you then start to tease together into a story. Thank you so much, Jason. So could you please share with us how does your typical day look like and any interesting stories that you want to share with our listeners? Since taking over as a director of the COVID Response Center, my days are very, very full. Um, I'm super lucky and proud to work with a fairly large team. It starts like 9.30. Sometimes I get to go running in the morning. Sometimes I don't. I have a lot of meetings throughout the day, but the best parts are when I get to work with uh, a designer or a subject matter experts and actually sketch. And we really try to get these people that don't think visually to write things down, right? We want them to draw the picture of the thing. And, uh, and it's fascinating when you go through these kind of ideation challenges, activities, that you learn so much more about the subject matter. And that's, that's like easily the best part. And then the other thing that I try to do is I have, I've really, really gone crazy in surrounding myself with books on data visualization and have in, indeed started to collect a lot of uh, books on the history of data viz. And so I go to them all the time. I, I have books on my table open to different pages. Like, you know, it could be the 1900 statistical atlas. It could be, uh, it could be uh, books on pictorial statistics from the forties. And, you know, I just took, I've just gotten really excited to buy these books on eBay and stuff. And I just refer to them all the time. So, um, and then the last part is that, um, you know, I, I do, I, I, I try really hard not to work at night. I do a lot of writing on the weekends about data viz history, but I really do try to spend time with my family for dinner every night and to take my brain out of being so obsessed with all this data viz stuff. Um, Cause it's really important to step away from it as well. Thank you so much, Jason. So we'll conclude the show by you recommending three favorite books of yours and also people who inspire you the most in this ecosystem. So um, the book that I always tell people to get on data visits by Andy Kirk. And it's literally called Data Visualization by Andy Kirk. Um, and he's one of the leaders in the field. I love this book because it tells you about chart types. It tells you about data, understanding data, what you want to do when you get a data set. But it also talks to you about like the art. How do you inspire people with data? So it's, it's, it's such a great book because it just... It gives you this whole gamut of what's possible in data visualization and really inspires with very explicit articles of like, this is a good bar chart. And this is a project how someone's used it on a super high level. Uh, so that's great. I love this other book by George Lois, who is a, a really important guy in the advertising industry called uh, Damn Good Ideas for People with Talent. And um, it's like a it's like a book that you can buy at like a novelty shop, right? It's like, cause it's got like big, it's like big text and like lots of pictures. But George Lois is like one of the true, like, you know, it's arguable that, that uh, Don Draper was based on his character in Men. 
Mad Men. You know, so he's a, he's a very kind of outsized, uh, you know, reputation in advertising. But there's a lot of core concepts about like, what are, what are people interested in and how do you tell them a story? Um, so it's a great book. And then the last one I can totally nerd out on is a book called Shady Characters. And it's about the, um, the uh, history of actual typographic characters. So like the history of the period, the history of a forward slash, you know, uh, what is an ampersand, you know, why is it called ampersand? And what's fascinating about his historical research is that it's so human and so pulpy, you know, like it's like the, the real reasons for a lot of these kind of core tenets and how we communicate are not very highbrow. Um, and I, it, I just love the book. I bought, I bought copies from many of my friends. Uh, so Shady Characters. I actually don't know the author's name. I'll, I'll, I'll find it to explain. Well, Georgia Lupi is always at the top of the list. She is uh, a data viz designer at Pentagram, um, a person that really brought about this concept of data humanism and a, a, a practitioner that I think has had just a huge effect um, very inspired by Catherine Dignazio and Lauren Klein. They wrote a book called Data Feminism that came out in February this year. Their book is really about understanding who is counted in the data and who is defining what like success or a benchmark is. And, you know, it's an ethical investigation into data science and to a degree data viz is an outpro- byproduct. Very important. Uh, work. Nadi Bremer is a data visualization designer who makes magic every day. Um, when you have an idea that you just can't believe, Nadi Bremer usually has <laughs> her, her hand in it. There are many other uh, designers and, and uh, people that I look, uh, that I look uh, up to. Amanda McCulloch is a, is a data viz practitioner in healthcare. Um, I have the, the great fortune of working with her and collaborating her regularly on her articles for Nightingale, which is a, a, a medium publication that I'm the, the editor-in-chief of about data visualization. Uh, certainly, Andy Kirk is a, is a figure that has a, 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 throws a huge shadow. Also, a, a practitioner and educator at the University of Miami, um, Alberto Cairo, um, wrote a book of, also about the ethics, uh, uh, how to lie with charts. Um, uh, amazing... Uh, uh, presence in the field to try to make sure that people stay true to their values and communicating, you know, a concept of truth through data. So, uh, yeah, many, many people to talk about. I can go on, I can go on, but. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jason, for your wonderful time and giving us these great insights on information design. We are looking forward to host you again in our upcoming episodes. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. It's really been a pleasure to be here. 